Welcome to Conversations with Leaders, where we talk with cloud leaders from commercial enterprises to the public sector, hearing their perspectives on innovation at scale when it comes to people, culture, and organization. Welcome to the Developing Leaders series, where we have asked customers to share their insights on leadership, vision, strategy, and people development. Shalom, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'd like to start our conversation with a question about how you identify and select emerging leaders on your team. You know, I think there's not one single way to do it. There's, and, and leadership comes in so many different forms. There's emerging technical leaders. There's emerging people leaders. What we look for are, are people who sort of stand out, whether it's in product development or in operations, and bring something a bit unique to the table. We look for people who've who've come in and sort of naturally moved into that role. And on the technical side, we look for folks who want to invest time in the people around them. That's really important because technical leadership is all about mentorship. It's all about guiding teams. It's all about providing them support. Right. Um, and of course, in addition to those soft pieces, we have a nice formal process with HR where we sit down and think about our employees and think about what their future potential is and how we can track them and how we can help them. So along with that, do you have a reward system that calls out kind of those, what what we called in our business, high potential leaders? You know, we, we definitely identify high potential leaders and, and pay attention to them. And I'll say in reverse, I think we try to cadence ourselves, the technical leadership team tries to cadence itself to say, how much time and attention are we giving these future leaders? Are we helping them grow? If they're not growing, are we doing all the right things? So while the onus is certainly on them to step up, right. we hold ourselves accountable for that. And we want the organization to sort of benefit from that. We want to keep them um, in-house when we can. And we want to give them rotational opportunities so that it's not just sort of sitting in one area and sort of only contributing to one place. So we especially look at doing things like rewarding them through new opportunities, rewarding right. them through rotation, rewarding them through visibility, rewarding them by letting them come and speak at industry events and encouraging that, so on and so forth. Oh, that's great. So along the way, right, you were, I'm sure, high potential talent as well. Were there leaders that inspired you? There were. And, you know, I think inspiration comes, again, at many different levels. There was, I would almost call them supervisors, people up the chain to me who were inspirational, who supported me. There are mentors who followed me across roles and jobs. And I think the most important, often undersung um, folks were the, the peers, peers who would often coach me on things that they were good at that I wasn't, and I would try to do the same for them. And I think I've had every element through the course of my career. You know, one that stands out was a very early leader, um, and I had the opportunity to sit down with her. She was, I want to say, three levels up from me in the organization at the time. And I was just a, a few years out of school, um, still learning the ropes, very ambitious and assertive, I thought, certainly from my level. Sat down with her, shared everything I did, told her about all these great things. And she gave some strong feedback uh, to my boss at the time, and, and the feedback was great. It was, he's smart, he's articulate doesn't know when to shut up, didn't actually <laughs> let me speak, and I, I'm the one in the room, right? And that was a huge lesson for me that I was able to incorporate. And right. she stuck with me and was a mentor for me for the next, um, I would say, 12 or 13 years. I ended up working for her two times uh, through the course of my career. Right. And, um, you know, getting that opportunity to get that candid feedback yeah, absolutely. And, and being guided by it and being thankful for it was really powerful. Yeah, and so she was a female and, you know, we often think about from a leader and mentorship perspective, it's nice to have diversity of leaders. Can you talk a little bit about y'all's views on 
getting that mix in the team for these leaders? Yeah, I would say for Dow Jones especially, diversity is a huge area of focus, and it's an area of focus for one simple reason, our customers are diverse. And we want our product teams, our technology teams to reflect our, our members and our customers. And it also helps us bring diverse points of view in when we're building products, you know, you want to understand how your customer base, your membership base thinks. Right. Uh, in terms of growing leaders, we do a couple things. We're running a, a great new program that our CEO is sponsoring to identify uh, diverse leaders across every level, um, focused on giving them attention and support. And within our organization, you know, we always sort of step back and periodically look around and look at teams and look at groups and say, are we, are we developing everyone we could develop? I think we've done right. a pretty good job of it. Um, I grew up, uh, luckily, career-wise, in, in a company that was very supportive of diversity in, uh, in leadership. I actually worked for women a number of times early in my career. And you know, when I moved in sort of to uh, new companies, I realized not every technology company has had that luxury. And so it's sort of been something on my mind to make sure that my team is sort of represents the people we serve. I, I love that. And, you know, so obviously a uh, technology leader and part of being a big leader is having uh, the awareness of technology trends in, mm -hmm. in an evolving space, right? So how do you keep yourself current on technology trends? You know, I'll start by saying it's not a, a conscious thing, though occasionally I'll wake up and say, I, I fear the day I wake up and don't know what's happening. And I mean from a tech <laughs> perspective, right? Yeah. Um, and I've been a, a bit of a tech geek, well, for, forever, I guess. That's part of why I yep. end up in technology. Um, but I think there's probably three things I do, and they're all related but different. First, I work in a media company because I love the news. And I wake up and, and, and read the news first thing. I'll, I'll, probably what I'll do in bed is I'll pull out my phone and look at the latest headlines. And that's not just restricted to looking at the journal. Um, it's also looking at you know popular tech blog sites. There's a bunch of them. Right. Seeing what's being announced, seeing what's happening, getting a bit of the pulse. Looking at Twitter and, and seeing what people I'm interested in are sort of talking about. Get that little bit of flavor in the morning to get the day started. The, the second is I try whenever I can to go and talk to folks outside of the company. Right, so, so fellow leaders. And when I was working on the vendor side, you'd meet customers all the time. And that was a great way to stay abreast of what was happening. Now I have to sort of force that to happen a little bit, go talk to my peer sets, go talk to the folks who provide us with services, folks like Amazon actually, right. and get perspectives on what they're seeing and what they're doing. Whether it's ahead or behind us, it just gives more context to what's happening. Um, and the last one is the one that gets harder and harder to do, which is by doing. So, right. you know, the amount of time I can spend doing it has dropped radically, you know, disappointing. It's just a reality in the yeah. role. But I cannot completely let go of it. You know, I want to go and touch some piece of some solution at some point, And my team will sort of yell at me, right? Are you, shouldn't you be defending our budget this week? Should you be helping <laughs> make this pitch? <laughs> what are you doing? And, and it's not all consuming, but it, it gives us a piece of context in trends that you can't have otherwise. Theory only right. goes so far. And I think, you know, from a leader's standpoint, keeping your hands in it, right? It's a, a leadership principle you probably have heard from Amazon mm -hmm. about diving deep, mm -hmm. right? And basically not being afraid to do the work. I love that. I think it's pretty funny. I think, you know, over the last 10 years or so, in, in many ways, AWS has sort of, I wouldn't say reinvented, but, but certainly uh, re-shown the importance of having technical people in the field who can touch and do. You right. know, we, we used to talk a lot um, when, when AWS was working with a lot of their early clients about the fact that the solution architects would come in and just show you how something worked rather than tell you about it. Exactly. And, and that sort of validated a little bit some of us wanting to stay with our hands into things. People stopped looking at us like we're crazy and saying, oh, that's probably what you should be doing. Yeah. That's so been good. I think it's been good for the industry. 
yeah. see that come back, come back around. I, I agree with you. So how do you do the same for your team and keep your your team abreast and and then I'll also your business, yeah. right, abreast of technology changes? Yeah, you know, I think for the team and business it's a bit different. For the team, it's really simple. Don't block them from spending time on things they're passionate about. Yes, there's a balance with the deliverables that are due this month for you know the maybe the exciting or maybe the frustrating project that just has to get done. Right. But encouraging them to carve out time. Um, we've talked a lot about doing that formally, doing that informally as a as a as a team. And I, I think what we found works best for at this point is each leader within the technology organization who decides what cadence to keep with their teams. Right. For me, that's one. The second is I always encourage my team to go and spend time at conferences and mixing with their peers inside and outside of the organization. Now, there's a balance. You know, can't fly everyone everywhere all the time. Right. <laughs> but when there's local opportunities, when there's meetups, when there's local summits, um, we do that and we encourage them to do that. And we ask them to come back and share their experiences with the rest of the organization. And that sharing, it also, I think, means a lot when engineers and operations folks hear from their peer sets what they've learned. Right. So bit of all of that, bit of yeah. all of that. With the business, that's another question, right? Each, you know, the product teams, obviously, they often know more about what's happening than we do. It just depends on the topic. Yep. <laughs> um, I think we work hard to keep our, our business line leaders, our CFO and our COO, informed of what's happening, try to offer them commentary. We're encouraging our teams to adopt tool sets like Slack to share information more consumably, right? Not to flood everyone with email. Right. Finding interesting articles and sharing them. Taking that extra couple minutes a day can make a huge difference. It pays back pretty pretty quickly, I would say. Right. That's, you know, that relationship, I think, between IT and, and a business partner and getting the right cadence there is is so important. Do you have, you know, any insights to, hey, how what makes it work well at Dow Jones? Yeah, I think it works really well. And, you know, obviously there's a multitude of partners in the business. And each of us on the leadership team have different business partners that we spend time with. For me, I think my most two important partners are, are finance and HR. And I say that because HR has helped me build career ladders for the teams, build job ladders, you know, figure out how we retain and motivate folks, really help me make sure I get to hire the right talent. And in the world of cloud, we are constantly looking for new talent. Right. And having them be an intimate part of that decision-making has mattered so much. On the finance side, having a finance person who has insight in technology, right? I often see those relationships turn adversarial at other companies, and that's not how it should be, right? Especially with the advent of cloud, if your finance person can be part of the decision-making every week, right. every day, every hour, they get really excited. Um, right. I just made the pitch that um, I would like them to spend more time with actually our Amazon team, right, to help yeah. understand the benefits of infrastructure coming up and down, making decisions on things like reserve instances. We want them to be part of that process. Yeah, I think that's great. And cloud, at least I found, gave so much more cost transparency than I had before, right? Which mm -hmm. allows your finance partner really to participate. Well, so it, it, it's all about your style of working. I think there's been periods in time where, you know, Technology leaders have been wanting to be opaque from finance. Just tell them, I need this. Yeah, exactly. Convince them. Tell them there's a fear or a problem or a challenge. And, you know, I prefer the opportunity to tell them what the challenges are, get their buy-in, get their support, get their advice. And in cloud means that I don't have to translate nearly as much. They can see exactly what's happening. Right. They can see that, look, content distribution costs are up, but we know why. More, right. more readers are coming to read our content. It's right. great. Right. And, and instead of something being negative, it turns into a positive. It helps us sort of map what we do back to revenue. That's yeah. been very powerful. And I think it also gives them a measure of control that I appreciate because I don't get artificial 
um, orders almost, right? They can right. rather rather than say, cut your cost 10%, they'll look at me with things and say, well, maybe we can do this action. Maybe uh, we can take this that's step. That's much better place. Right? It is. It is. So we really foster that conversation. I, I love that. The, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about is famously, you know, at Amazon, Jeff believes in failure. Mm-hmm. Right, it's uh, you know in shareholder letters, right? Amazon's the best place to fail, and so could you share what you've learned in your philosophy around failure for you and your team? Uh, you know, I think um, the best failures are either the ones you learn from or you feel you do the right things. I've probably had a, a decent number of them. Uh, one that stood out to me, and and it, it all had to do with expectations. My first job in product management. Mm-hmm. Technology product management. I took over a, uh, a managed service, and you know, all I wanted to do was show everyone I could take this service that was perceived relatively well, and take it to the next level, grow it, you know, right. build a bit of my career as a product manager off it. And you know, within two or three months, I looked at it and realized it was actually hemorrhaging money. It hadn't been, you know, uh, well, I, I guess it hadn't been very transparent about how it operated, and it didn't actually make a lot of sense to to make it continue running. Right. And I sort of struggled with what to do. I was like, I have to make this successful. Did not know how. And, you know, with some support from some mentors, I realized the actual answer was to declare it a failure and to really be transparent about it and go and get line management support to say, how do we shut this down? That takes some courage, especially early in your career. And, and, you know, maybe I was courageous. Maybe I really had no other choice. I'm not quite sure. (laughs) Looking back at the time, I felt a little courageous. Um, but, But the key lesson was learning how to position and present that, how, you know, not to cover it up. Right. How not to try to run away from the role, but to take ownership of it and do it gracefully to make sure the customers who are served by it were treated well and had an exit strategy for it. Yep. And you know that was probably one of the hardest things I had to do to take something over. Think I was making my mark from it instead, of just be like, we're shutting it down. Yeah. Um, but it was. It turned out. It turned out well enough. And has that served you well at leading teams that when failures happen? Yeah, I think the thing I push the most to people when they have failures or challenges is to communicate them, be transparent right. about them. Ask for help early. Don't ask for help late. You know, there's there's a big, I think, uh, fear that if you ask for help, you're perceived as weak. Right. If if you have a challenge, you'll be you'll be pushed out the door. Right. And and what I sort of say is, if you have the right relationship, if you have the right level of trust, trust is really important in teams. I could talk about that for an hour. I think um, you want to be able to go to your management team, to your stakeholders, and talk about what you're facing. Ask them for their help. And, and tell them what you think you should do. Don't go in with saying, I don't know what to do. You need right. idea, you need a solution, <laughs> right? But it doesn't have to be perfectly baked. Right. And I think that's the lesson I took away from that first early failure. And I think it's one that um, has served me well and hopefully served the people I've coached and mentored well as well. That's great. A great example. Sean, it was wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me.